It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey there, everybody. The Mets lose two out of three to the Boston Red Sox. What a stunner. They are seven games under 500. They are seven games back in the loss column for the third and final wild card spot. Other than that, how's everybody doing? We got a little tease this weekend against the Red Sox. Tiny bit, little bit of a tease. The win on Friday slash Saturday, thinking, hey, maybe the Mets can win a series in Boston against a quality opponent. And then they did not pitch well on Saturday and Sunday. And here we are. Another series loss. They are four and five out of the All-Star break. And with a week and a day to go before the MLB trade deadline, I think we all know the reality. More on that later and what they should do, what they can do, what they won't do. As far as this series is concerned, let's start from the beginning. I made the trip down to Boston. I was very excited. It's a rare opportunity to see Fenway Park. And I did sit in the monster seats on Friday night for four and a half innings, of course, until there was rain and thunder and lightning and flooding. And obviously, we had to abandon the monster seats. But I must say, I always want to be honest with everybody. The monster seats were freaking awesome. It was a very unique experience in that while I don't normally like sitting in the outfield, you're on top of the action. So the way I would compare it is it felt as if we were watching the game from the center field camera. You know, the way we watch games on TV, Uh, my son and I were calling balls and strikes, had a good look, you know, obviously bat off the ball. It's a little confusing. Because usually at a game, I'm sitting behind the plate, so you're kind of used to that angle. But for the four and a half innings, we were there. I know he loved it. He had a great time. I had a great time. And and there were weird things about the monster seats that I appreciate maybe more than some. First of all, you get a table. I mean, who, who doesn't want a table when you're at a baseball game? And I don't just mean for my scorebook. For the hot dog, for the peanuts, for the water. For the beer, yeah, I apologize. My six-year-old really wanted a beer, had to buy him one. I'm just kidding. But the table was great. There's a lot of leg room, which for most seats at Fenway Park, which I certainly experienced on Saturday, there's very little leg room. I mean, the building was created over 100 years ago, and while they have changed the seats to make some of them more comfortable, they're not all the wooden originals from 1912, you are really crammed at Fenway Park. And I think you... You feel it more today than maybe you would have 15 years ago because Shea Stadium was a little bit comparable. Yankee Stadium was a little bit comparable. But now when you go to a game at the new Yankee Stadium or you go to a game at City Field, it's just wider. Maybe because we got fatter as people. And because our asses are bigger, they decided let's make bigger seats for all of us. That may have something to do with it because back in 1912, other than our president, who was rather large, William Howard Taft, um. Listen, actually, William Howard Tapp was very plump. He He's the reason why you have the seventh inning stretch. I don't know if you guys know that. Because <laughs> he wanted to get out of his seat and he stretched. But the monster seats were a really cool experience. The only negative was there are two negatives. Number one, they are really expensive. And the one thing I wonder about for myself and everybody listening, is it really worth that cost? You know, when you spend $400 a ticket, which is the face value to sit on top of the monster, I think we're expecting all you could eat food behind home plate, first row, not 
center field, as good as the seat was in center field. So, A, it's very highly priced, and I wondered about that. Is it worth it? As good as the seat was, is it worth it? And then the other problem was, as we all experienced if you were watching the game at home, there was not only a rain delay, the game never resumed. So for some of us, I'm going to raise my hand here, who goes to Boston with their family, and you know we're talking about going to the aquarium and the science museum and doing the duck boat, I couldn't exactly make the 2 o'clock makeup game and then a 7 o'clock game that was originally supposed to be at 4 o'clock. So the compromise I had with my family was, you're not going to the resumed game, but we will go to the originally scheduled Saturday game. So me and my oldest son, Jack, got four and a half innings of the Friday game. We did not get the resumption. Now, Pete, do we get a victory? Like in the annals of Evan going to Met games and Jet going to Met games, does that Friday night for four and a half innings leading with a lead count as a win for us, even if we weren't there for the last five innings? Oh, no question, especially with Vogelback hitting a home run. That, that is a win for everybody. <laughs> was it that was stunning by the way yeah of course this, the the whole four inning game was really stunning because think about the way that game starts Kodai Senga's on the mound he gives up a leadoff hit to Jaron Duran who's a hell of a player by the way he promptly steals second goes to third on a bad throw by Francisco Alvarez so we are literally 45 seconds into the Red Sox turn at bat and they're already set up with a runner on third and nobody out. And Kodai Senga gets Justin Turner to ground out. And Francisco Lindor actually made a really good play on that ground ball. And boom, it's one nothing. Not really to the fault of Kodai Senga. So the Red Sox instantly popped up that first run. And after that, I thought Kodai was going to dominate because he got a few more ground balls to end the first. He looked very good to start the second inning. And then at absolute nowhere in the bottom of the second inning, and it always starts with that innocent-looking walk. He walked Tristan Casas. He gave up a base hit to Connor Wong, and then Yu Cheng on an 0-2 pitch with me and Jet screaming, throw him the ghost fork ball. He leaves one up, and Chang pounds one off the green monster. Now, where we were sitting... I give you the description. We were more towards center field off of the monster. In fact, we were the last two seats on the green monster all the way to the right, which I think I'd argue is better than being all the way to the left. Because even though you're more on top of the field when you're on the left, because you're closer, obviously it's a home plate. We had a direct vision of home plate. So calling balls and strikes was a lot of fun. Had to squint the eyes a little bit, but balls and strikes were a lot of fun just to look closely because you're not on top of the action as much as, you know, when you're watching on TV. But anyhow, Yu Chang hits one off the wall. It's 3 nothing, and it was a stunning 3 nothing because I really thought Senga was starting to groove after that leadoff hit to Durant, and down 3 nothing. I didn't say this out loud because I really don't want to be overly negative in front of my kids, but I'm thinking to myself, what the hell are we watching? Like, this is going to be a disaster. This is going to be a nightmare. They made Cutter Crawford look like Cy Young for the first two innings. This offense isn't going to score, and we're going to lose a very meek, you know, 5 nothing game. As this is happening, the rain clouds are hovering over Fenway Park, and I knew there was a chance of rain, but it had been held off, and I'm thinking, ah, maybe we'll get lucky. And then 
the Met rally in the third inning was the first sign of a little life from this team. They get a leadoff double by Beatty, and of course, of course, they can't move him at all. Marcana pops up, Luis Giorme pops up, and then credit to Brandon Nimmo, who has really added the pop this season. That's the big compliment on Brandon Nimmo's season this year. Defensively, he's been mostly good. He still doesn't steal bases. His batting average has been sinking. His OPS is not nearly as high as it's been in the past. He's not getting on base as much, but he is hitting for power. So despite all those negatives I mentioned, let's hand it to Brandon Nimmo because that was an important two-run home run because otherwise the Mets were about to waste a leadoff double. And then Hoff mentioned it. After they get another leadoff double in the fourth, Daniel Vogelback behind in the count hit an absolute bomb. And it was stunning because anytime Daniel Vogelback really gets a hold of one, none of us see it coming. That's why I was so annoyed on Sunday night when Carl Ravitch said, boy, that Vogelback's got a lot of pop. And all of us are watching saying, does he? Yeah, once in a while, it'll hit, hit a home run. It'll happen here and there. But he's hit six home runs this season. That's a lot of pop. But he got a hold of that one, and it gave the Mets the lead, a stunning turn of events after being down 3 nothing, And they took a 4-3 to lead. And, yeah, I'm feeling good. And then the range just came in. And I don't know if they said this on TV, Pete, but it's starting to pour in the bottom of the fourth inning. The count is one and one or one and two on Alex Verdugo. And I'm even saying to Jet and everybody around us, like, they got to stop this game. It's pouring. I put the scorebook away. I gave up. Like, I, I can't keep scoring with these rain conditions. And I'm even I'm the one saying to my son, hey, we should go undercover. And he's like, nah, I'm good, man. I'm good. Let's handle the rain. So we're both, or at least I'm thinking, man, they got to stop this game. And Alvarez stopped the game himself because Alvarez calls timeout, goes to the mound to talk to Senga as it's just pouring outside. And then it it was almost like peer pressure on the umpires, on Doug Eddings and Alfonso Marquez. They're finally like, all right, maybe we should stop the game. And then for the next two hours, we had the time of our life. I'm sure you've seen the videos on social media. There was flooding all over Fenway Park, which for a six-year-old is the coolest thing they've ever seen. When you've got water flowing down the stairs and water just flowing through the corridors, I think it's messy. He thinks it is the greatest thing in the world. And we walked around Fenway Park. We checked out every nook and cranny of this building. I got to tell you, Pete, I had a great two-hour rain delay. Me and the big man had a fun time. All right, so the serious question is, how did his sneakers end up? Were they okay, or were they just – did you have to toss them afterwards? Well, Pete, the story moves (laughs) on because our damage for our sneakers did not occur from the flooding at Fenway Park. It occurred with the fact that I went down to Boston with my wife, with both of my sons, and with my in-laws. My in-laws decided to come as well. For this Friday night game, it was just me and Jet. So my wife's back at the hotel. My youngest son, Spence, is back at the hotel. The in-laws are back at the hotel. And we decided, since I was unsure about the parking situation, and we were only staying about, I'd say, three miles away, we'll take the train. We'll have the full Boston experience. So we took the T train from pretty much the uh, Science Center, for anyone that knows Boston, to Fenway Park. About a 25-minute train ride. It was jam-packed. It was disgusting. Jet loved it. I thought it was the worst thing in the world. But now, Pete, 
the game gets rained out. We stayed there to the very end. We get notified like five after 10. Hey, game is over. It is pouring outside. So what do you do? Like, what, what the hell do you do? Like, I don't have an umbrella. You go outside, you're going to get absolutely soaked. I'm not a big Uber guy, but I knew got to do an Uber. Like, I, I, I'm not like anti-Uber. I just don't use Ubers very often. I drive everywhere. So I get this Uber and me and my son run outside to meet him at the predetermined location of this Uber. And we got soaked. I mean, I, as soaked as you can be to the point where I gave up halfway through and said, let's just get undercover. And we got undercover, notified the Uber driver. And 35 minutes later, he picked us up and we got back. It was, it was a shit show and a half getting out of Fenway Park in a seething rainstorm because, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, what the hell were my options at that point? Oh, wait, wait, explain to me how it took them 35 minutes to find you. Well, because they give you on Uber a predetermined location. So let's say it was, I think it was like 325 Boylston Street, right? Sure. I'm looking for Boylston Street. It's six blocks away. We're freaking in a rainstorm. <laughs> so I get undercover with him, call the Uber driver through their special, like, direct number and say look i can't get there i'll give you a massive tip but you gotta get to this location which was some hotel that was right near fenway park and there was so many cars it's raining it was just such a crap show that it it took forever but we survived we got out of there and did not come back on saturday for the two o'clock game (laughs) instead went to the science museum yeah i had to do some family stuff pete you know let me uh, one last question about the friday night game did uh did Jet decide to do like a little slip and slide action in the uh puddles of Fenway? I'm a bad dad because I would not allow it. He wanted to. <laughs> I said, son, I don't think uh your Kodai Sanga jersey will survive this. Dude, I swear to God, I- I'm not even gonna joke. Your kid what there's a video that I see of some dude like just like no shirt on and yeah. just diving in. That wasn't Jet that walked past nah. him, right? Because there's a kid with the with the Met jersey, I'm like that, it's a, that's a kid passing an adult, and I, that can't be Jet, could it? Nah, nah oh, I'm not. I'm not that cool of a dad. I'm not that cool <laughs> of a dad. But there were tons of Met fans there. Tons of Met fans there, and I got to meet a lot of them. They were very nice. They're all big fans of Pete Hoffman. So it was a very good experience over at the Fenways, at the Fens, as they call it. I'm glad they were able to complete the victory. I certainly didn't have that feeling, you know, when I. Finally turned the game on Saturday afternoon, and they went to Grant Hartwig out of the bullpen. And I was thinking, would it have made sense? And I know we had mentioned this before in a previous suspended game. Would it have made sense to actually start Max Scherzer in the suspended game with one out in the fourth inning? Because when you really think about it, if Max Scherzer could give you six solid innings, your baseball game's over. You don't have to use anybody else. Obviously, the negative to that is, yeah, you use Max Scherzer in that game. What the hell's your plan for game two of the quasi-doubleheader? So it was a thought because in this day and age where starters, Max included, are not going seven or eight innings, you've already got the 10 outs from Kodai Senga. And it really is a start. When you think about it, you come into a game with one out, nobody on in the fourth inning. It's not like you're coming in with two on and two out. But Buck obviously decided to go to Hartwig. And credit to the Met bullpen. The Met bullpen on Saturday afternoon 
really did a good job, especially Grant Hartwig. He comes into that weird spot immediately. Gourmet makes a great play. He picks off Tristan Casas. He had a one, two, three, fifth inning. Uh, even David Peterson was able to work his way out of trouble. Dominic Leone had a cleat inning. Brooks Raley made you a little nervous, but he got through the eighth inning. And then finally, David Robertson shut the door, and they made up for the fact that the Mets had so many opportunities late in this game to break it wide open. I mean, there were so many big ones, especially, and nothing could top it, bases loaded, nobody out. In the eighth inning, they get a leadoff hit by McNeil, a single by Alonzo, a what should have been error off of the bat of Mark Vientos, but they called it a hit good for Mark. They have bases loaded, nobody out with the rookies coming up, Alvarez and Beatty, and they couldn't bring them in. And then in the ninth, they had another great opportunity. Got a bunt hit, a shocking bunt hit from DJ Stewart. Had two on, nobody out with the top of the order coming up. And Brandon Nimmo strikes out, and Lindor grounds out, and McNeil grounds out. So those were horrible warning signs to me that they were going to find a way to blow this game. When you're leaving five guys on in the eighth and ninth inning, four of them in scoring position, it was an awful sign, but credit to the Met bullpen, like I said. Outside of David Peterson giving up a run, that leadoff triple that he gave up to Tristan Casas, who had a tremendous series, the bullpen shut the door. And the Mets won a game on Saturday afternoon slash Friday night that gave you hope again. Like, I'm serious. All of a sudden, you're five games under 500. Everybody in the National League wildcard race has been crumbling. Can, can we admit that? The San Francisco Giants crumbling. The Miami Marlins had been crumbling. The Philadelphia Phillies crumbling. All of a sudden, you glance over at the National League wildcard race and you're thinking to yourself, huh, they're not completely buried. Now, the Giants have lost five in a row now. The Diamondbacks have lost four in a row. The only team that recently got hot was Cincinnati after they had struggled for a while. 